This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 218. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. Today I am joined by Mr. Matthew Marister. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Mr. Bowman. How are you? Fantastic, sir. And we are also joined by a special guest. I will bring him on here in just a second. I did want to just mention really quickly that I am just so happy to be back to the podcast because it's time to, to boot Jacob and Matthew out of their high chairs and, you know, be, you know, hey, put you back in your right spot. Stop doing so good, you know, with the podcast while I'm away. Uh, we, we couldn't take we couldn't uh, take your spot, man. We just we're just filling the seats. I I also wanted to give a quick thanks to everyone, uh, all of you listeners and supporters of the podcast for your kind words. I've got e- I I received emails and various messages uh, congratulating me and 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 all that for you know the the birth of our our fifth child, a little boy, and he was healthy and strong, and uh, we're just thrilled to have him. And uh, it it was timely because he got here just in time for me to fly out to uh, Kentucky so I could make it to the uh, Concealed Carry Expo, which we had a great time there. Uh, Matthew, you you had a a big part to play in that, a big role. Um, And uh, you rocked it, man. You killed it, brother. Well, we all did. It was teamwork. Uh, Just awesome content coming up for you guys with different uh, interviews. Once we get all those put into uh, individual interviews, I mean, we had Antonio Okafor, Gabby Franco, um, Chris Khalil. I mean, just a list of Joe Joe Khalil. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, just awesome, awesome uh, content, like what, 19 hours worth of interviews and stuff. It was a ton. It was was a lot. And I'll tell you uh, that last day, the last couple of interviews, uh, boy, I mean, I, I would I was running ragged for days, you know, and then getting everything ready for the show and then talking to people for like 16 hours and all this stuff. And then I'm like, oh, I hit a wall. <laughs> I had to step out of that last interview just because I just, I, I just, that's just the way it goes, guys. Cast but out. of course, there's, you know, you got good people like Matthew and Jacob to back you up when those times come. So... It is my pleasure, like I said, to have a special guest here today. I'm really hang- holding on here. He's, he's going to come on. I did want to point out that today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Head on over to Guardian, GuardianNation.com. Check out all of the amazing benefits for being a member of Guardian Nation. There's a ton of amazing benefits. Just go check it out. Trust me. Do it now. GuardianNation.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by... A special product we'd like you to go check out the Howard Lake Impact Sport OD Green Electric Earmuff. It's a it's a mouthful, but hey, you know what? They're great, simple, and affordable little earmuffs available. Uh, I think they're on sale or they're at least priced very well on our website. Go on over to concealedcarry.com. Here's a short link for you: concealedcarry.com forward slash impact sport ODG for OD Green. So concealedcarry.com forward slash impact sport ODG. And uh, check out those if you're looking to get a nice set, of, you know, decent set and low low profile too, of uh, electronic hearing protection. Uh, go check them out. Uh, so there you go. We thank all of you joining us on Facebook today, and uh, appreciate the comments being uh, dropped in here. Chris says, "Congrats, Riley. Thank you, Chris. Love you like a brother." All right, let's get into it now. I am pleased now to introduce to you. We have Chris Door. 
joining us on the podcast. Chris is the director of the Board of Ohio Gun Owners, a gun rights organization. Uh, it says here that Chris got, first got involved in the fight to defend and advance our Second Amendment rights in 2009 in his home state of, of Iowa, where he helped Iowa gun owners get shall-issued law passed in 2010. Since then, he has assisted with grassroots organizations, mobilization, and helping with getting laws passed in Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, I- Idaho, Georgia, Tennessee, Virginia, New Hampshire, and Wisconsin. Chris, we welcome you. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Glad to be here, and thanks for having me on, Mr. Bowman. And congratulations. Uh, you better thank your wife for being so accommodating for uh, you know lining that up properly to have that kid in time <laughs> so you could jet on out. My <laughs> wife doesn't always have a penchant for that, but she's pretty good about it. So I I've got six myself. So, which is remarkable, brother. Uh, you know, I, I I was telling people at the uh, Concealed Carry Expo, they're like, "Well, how many is this?" I'm like, five. They're like, "Whoa, five. And then you meet Chris <laughs> over here. You know, Ohio gun owners, Chris, and six kids. Man, you got me beat. Well, you looked around at all these gun grabbers, and uh, we got to outpopulate them somehow. So I figured if we got a bunch of little right-wing door kids running around out there, they might not always have the last name of mine. But hey, I'm I'm doing my part. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, I mean, there's multiple ways we can attack. You know, the anti-gunners, and we <laughs> and I think we are probably winning on the population side of things. I think so, especially when you go to these anti-gun rallies, you see these Moms Demand Action people, and generally, you don't ever see any kids. You see a bunch of uh, older, middle-aged to older uh, folks that you know don't look very motherly, but we probably better not go down that road. But uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah, I think everyone gets what you're what you're getting at. So, yep. all righty. Hey, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, Chris. I mean, I kind of gave a little brief intro on you, uh, but you know, maybe was there anything I missed? Uh, anything that you would like to touch on? Uh, and tell us a little bit more about Ohio gun owners. Okay, well, you know, like you said, I got started back in two thousand nine. Uh, my brother and I, Aaron, my brother Aaron Dor, he runs Iowa Gun Owners, but Iowa at the time was the May issue state where it was up to your local county sheriff to decide whether or not you got a permit. And, you know, we thought we got to start moving the ball in the other direction. Uh, Republicans were starting to introduce gun control back then. And, you know, fast forward now, they finally got shout or uh, stand your ground law passed uh, last year in the, in the 2017 session of the Iowa General Assembly. And, um, you know, we kind of looked around the country and I thought, you know, Ohio, it's a big, important state. And it's another state where Republicans uh, should be doing a much better job than what they are doing. And so, um, had family in the area and my other employment worked out well for it. So I moved out here and, and uh, started with uh, helping Ohio gun owners and, and now I'm their, their director. So. Awesome. Fantastic. Ohio. Now I can give you kind of a little rundown on Ohio gun owners. I mean, we're, we're different from other gun rights organizations. The, the organizations that I've worked with over the past several years were different in other, um, in comparison to other organizations in that we're grassroots powered and driven. Um, uh, we believe in a grassroots mobilization model where um, instead of the old way of doing gun politics, where it was kind of a few uh, few people went to a state house or a state capital and kind of started making friends with everybody and trying to be buddy-buddy and everything. Um, our model, the Ohio Gun Owners model and the other groups that I work with, it's, it's more of a um, 
let's empower the grassroots to be their own best defenders of their own rights by by giving them uh, you know a peek behind the curtain to let them know what's going on to get them involved in the fight so that they can be calling, emailing, Facebooking, uh, tweeting, whatever uh, their state representatives because. You know, it's it's no secret. You are your own best defense when you're under violent attack and you are your own best defense when it comes to your gun rights. Um, and, and that's what this organization is about. It's about empowering the grassroots to be better defenders of their own Second Amendment rights. Right. Now, Matthew, you're out there in Ohio. Absolutely. Yep. So tell me, I mean, how? and you actually lined up this interview today. Uh, you were doing your job as, you know, podcast producer, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, how did you, what, what's your involvement with Ohio, Ohio gun owners, if any? Well, you know, I'm a member, of course, I, ha- I have to tell you that <laughs> um, I'm a member. Um, but yeah, so I, for me, it was really important because there are a couple different, um, you know, gun groups out in Ohio. And um, what I liked about Ohio gun owners um, and Chris Dorr is that he is so active as far as getting information out to the members and letting them, you know, getting them knowledgeable, not just, Hey, I'm going to tell you what I want you to hear and what I want you to understand about the law, or, you know, this is what's best for you. He's putting out the information. He's at ground zero. He's constantly going out to the state house, um, dealing with these, uh, with, with the politicians. And it's important because there, while Ohio is, um, you know, Republican controlled, we have seen, especially since Parkland. Um, and I think it probably started back in, in the Las Vegas shooting. Um, but political lines really don't matter anymore. Um, as far as gun rights. So, you know, where you normally would say, okay, I'm, I'm a gun owner. I want to vote. I have to vote for a Republican. Um, that's not, that's not the case that's going on now. And so it's really important to be educated on the issues. And, and Chris is so, um, great because he gets on Facebook every day. It seems every day, um, goes live and tells us what the status of this or that is going on. And, and, you know, these states that are passing gun control legislation, they're not all Democrat controlled. Um, and so you really have to be tuned in on what's going on. And he does that great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, you know, like you said something, Matthew, that I sort of latched onto, And that was that you said that, hey, you're in a Republican controlled state, basically, right? And you might think guys and gals. And by the way, I just wanted to mention everyone that, yeah, we're talking with Chris Dorr from Ohio Gun Owners today, but we intend to talk about things, you know, quite, you know, as broadly as we can, because, uh, it's, this isn't just a fight. We're not just bringing Chris on to talk about, you know, what's going on in Ohio. Um, you know, we, we could touch on that as well, of course, but, but this is something that we're all in together nationwide. We are starting to see, and by the way, where the battle will be primarily fought, is in your local and and state legislatures and governments, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe some things that happen federally. Who knows? But uh, where we really need to be most active, where we need to be most focused, is in the more you know local and state levels. Because we just recently saw Florida in in light of Parkland, and on one hand, it's kind of like, well, it's I mean, like you can kind of understand why it happened because people are obviously hurt. And they're feeling really bad, and they just feel like they got to do something. 
and they got their constituents calling them every day that, and most of those people are going to be those that are saying, you got to pass these laws, right? Florida is a Republican state. They have a wide majority in the house. They have a, of, you know, it's, it's a, it's a closer majority in the Senate, but it's not like it's, you know, it's not just by one or two. It's, it's a, it's a fairly well-controlled house and Senate in the state of Florida and a Republican governor. And yet somehow they got all these crazy gun laws passed just a you know a month or so ago. So I use that as a case study for like right now, this is the fight we're in. And if you're thinking that where you're at, because it's Republican controlled or whatever it is, doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't right. Or matter. If you think it, or if you think because it happens in Florida, it's not going to affect you. You're wrong. That's right. And now is not the time to be complacent or, or, or anything like that, because what happens legislatively in one state um, is going to affect you. I mean, th- let legislators look to other what's going on across the political spectrum. And they mm-hmm. say, Hey, if these guys are going to take political uh, capital or lose, you know, uh, votes or something, even if they're a Republican and, and, and they're seeing it over there, they're going to say, well, maybe I should do the same thing and follow in line. So if, if they don't have a push pushback from the people, they're just going to take the path of least resistance. And we know what the path of least resistance is. It's control of it. I want to touch on something that Riley just said when he was talking about why this is so important. Um, um, If you kind of look back to 2013, they tried to implement gun control from the top down. And when when Riley was just talking about this is at your local state level, this is where the fight's going to be. In 2013, they tried it from the top down with the Manchin-Toomey uh, gun control bill that they tried to ram through Congress. Um, after that failed and failed pretty spectacularly, uh, thanks to some of the big national gun groups out there, um, Bloomberg adapted. He didn't just you know say, okay, well, we're going to give up now. We tried to get our gun control agenda passed through Congress. Well, we, we got defeated, so that's it. No, on the contrary, they learned their lesson, and that's why we're seeing what we are seeing right now, and that is they are trying to do um, they're, they're, they're on the same model that Ohio gun owners is on. They're trying to build from the grassroots up in the states at the local level. They are building there and launching in every one of the 50 states to try to pass this stuff at the local level up through the state legislature. So um, I think Riley really nailed it on the head. Um, this is where the fight is. It's right at our local level in, in our own yeah. state. Well, I'm seeing it right here in Colorado where we have the city of Boulder. Now, I don't even live in the city of Boulder. Frankly, I don't generally give a crap about much about the city of Boulder, you know, but guess what? Uh, they're trying to ban assault weapons, assault weapons, yep. right? You know, so, I mean, they just had all these uh, here, who knows, maybe they actually they passed it. I don't know. I've been kind of disconnected for the last week or so, but I remember just be like a week or so before my kid came that uh, a friend of mine attended a hearing, you know, with their city council and there was, you know, of course, all these people there. And unfortunately there was, I think, or actually, excuse me, fortunately, I think there were actually more people there expressing their support for the Second Amendment as opposed to against it. Yet it's, it was very clear, he said, that uh, uh, where the where the city council's heart lies, that they really intend to just move forward anyway and pass these assault weapons bans. So, yeah, it's um, the fight is local. You're going to see it in your cities, your towns, your counties, your states. Uh, you'll see it even, like I said, the whole point, 
about bringing up Florida is that you might even see this even if you think you're safe. Because politicians are going to do whatever they think, frankly, improves their chances of winning the next election. And that's exactly what you saw in Florida, right? Governor Scott, all he's thinking about is, hmm, I might want to be a a senator, a U.S. senator. You know, like, what can I do? You know, like, (laughs) that's at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. You know, my state right now, the popular issue is passing these what they think are common sense gun control laws when of course we know they're not. But now I'm going to ask you a question. I'm, I'm just curious if I'm, if I'm picking up on anything here or am I just totally insane, Chris? Uh, recently I've been reading a book uh, from written by Michael Martin. Uh, it, it is his book about countering the mass shooting uh, attack. Okay. Which is recently published with the USCCA. All right. We just interviewed him last weekend at the uh, Concealed Carry Expo. Fantastic interview. And I'm finally getting around to picking up the book and actually going through the book. And I'm actually quite enthused with what I'm fighting in there. It's it's way better than what I expected it would be. Okay. And and, and not to knock on Michael. It's not like I didn't expect it to be quality. It's just, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, man, I should have read this like months ago. And he brings up in that book the the idea of uh, uh, threshold of violence theory. Okay. And, or... You know, so you have Mark Granovetter who came up with this theory of thresholds. And you got Malcolm Gladwell who wrote in The New Yorker extensively about this and why he believes that, you know, has led to these mass shooters. Uh, continue, you know, basically why, why we're seeing more and more of those happening since basically Columbine. And the idea is that, you know, people that normally aren't predisposed to do certain things will maybe suddenly start to get on board with doing those things when they see others around them, you know, do, you know, commit those same acts. And I'm, I'm kind of looking at this and, you know, Matthew and, and Chris, both of you kind of mentioned you, what, what one legislator may see is going on or a governor sees is going on in another state or even at a city or county level might look at that and go, Hmm, you know, I, I'm wondering it, if this theory of thresholds also applies. And I, I kind of think it does that when we start, you know, when, when society and, and the general public sees, well, this state did this and well, that city did that. And this state's talking about this and like, Oh, well I got to get on the bandwagon. And suddenly one thing that they were previously not for now they're for because they want to be part of the group. Yeah. I, I would say that um, bandwagon theory definitely applies to the political class as well. Um, but I think it's even more explicit than that. Uh, a lot of these legislatures and legislators all go to national conferences every year um, where they all get together with like-minded people who have passed or are trying to pass legislation in their respective states. And these associations that put on these, uh, that put on these legislative conferences for legislators, uh, they equip these people with uh, model legislation uh, proposed legislation or talking points that they can take back to their own states and actually have their bill drafters or revisers or whatever their states call them and have them introduce this legislation. And so uh, the idea that, um, you know, the radical left or the big gun control, as we like to call them here, would be equipping these legislative counts, uh, associate or conferences with model legislation or proposed legislation, um, I, it's not just a possibility, it happens every year. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, in, in looking and most certainly this is the case, um, for example, here in Ohio, you have Republican governor, John Kasich, who has launched a war on gun owners in the state. 
And he looks at, at, at the actions of people like Governor Scott down in Florida, and he most certainly projects that onto his own image and, and onto his legislature, the, the Ohio General Assembly, um, and expects the same results out of them if he can ratchet up the pressure on them enough. And that is not an Ohio-specific problem. Uh, we have Republicans in, in uh, all over the country doing this right now, looking at this stuff. Um, we have a, a state rep here who introduced some gun confiscation by um, declaration bills where it destroys due process. And we hear from other legislators who are supposed to be good pro-gun legislators. Wow, that takes a lot of courage to do stuff like that. Well, if they can be having that reaction to this garbage legislation here, they can certainly be having that reaction across the country. And they are having that reaction. So you, I think you nailed it. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and when you mentioned the, uh, the theory of the thresholds, right, kind of following on the bandwagon, um, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at it from this point of view. Why do you think that gun control groups always, one of the big talking points that they always hit on is, well, 75% of Americans are in favor of gun control or 90, not, it doesn't mean anything because the, the, the poll is totally skewed, but they say that because it, it allows people that are on the fence, right. Yeah. To say, well, well, if 90% of people are for gun control and I'm kind of on the fence, maybe if I'm lean against gun control that I'm, you know, I'm weird and, and I got to yeah. go with the group. So it, it's definitely pervasive and, and it's always coming at you from different angles. Right. Yep. And yeah. so they're trying to make you feel that even, even with the media, um, you know, the, the, the marches and everything is, is skewed to make it seem like every kid believes in gun control, like the whole generation believes in gun control and they're all marching. And then, you know, I, and I, you know, I truly was starting to feel that way. And, you know, I spoke with Antonio Okafor, um, over at the expo and I, since she's doing the, um, the campus carry and going to campuses and talking to, to, to kind of like ground level, uh, talking to these kids, um, I guess young adults, um, <laughs> but and she's saying, no, that's not the truth. You know, that, 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 majority of people on college campuses, she's feeling that they do not want to give up their, their gun rights. And so, but the idea is that if you do want to keep your gun rights, then you're weird. You're not part of the group. You're not part of the, 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 you know, the uh, majority. And so they're helping push people uh, maybe out of their comfort zone to choose something that you know, maybe wouldn't be something that they normally would believe in. So it's definitely a problem. And I, and, you know, we had, I remember Riley a couple weeks ago on the podcast, we had somebody saying, you know, uh, that they commented in and said, Hey, um, you guys are just fear mongering. You know, there's always like an argument, even from gun right owners or, or, or pro gun right people that you guys are fear mongering. This is never going to happen. Second amendment, you know, don't worry about it. You, you, you know, you're not going to scare us into this and that, and they'll, you know, they'll take my guns from my cold dead hands and things like that. But the truth of the matter is they know that they can't repeal the second amendment. They're just going to go end around and, and do it from the, the bottom up. They're going to go back door. They're going to have other pressures um, like we see in the banking industry just to kind of make it difficult for gun owners until the majority accepts it and just kind of rolls over. And I think that's the danger, the apathy that we have to fight. Mm. Yeah. You know, I was thinking 
once again, back to kind of this idea of this theory of thresholds, um, <clears throat> applying it to other things. When you look at, say, like a riot and how a riot begins, right? You know, you get one person that it doesn't take much for them to start throwing chairs through windows and, you know, trash cans and stuff and beating on cop cars. Well, one person sees that and they go, mm, okay, yeah, all right, I'll do that. And, and the more people that join in, then you're more likely Pack to mentality. get additional people that are that are able to overcome that personal threshold and join in, right? The interesting thing about that is it is not necessarily how the majority of society feels, right? Not even close. It's a fraction of that of that society that is willing to to engage in that. And I'm I, I'm coming back to that because I'm making the point that we hear all this loud mouthed you know talking about uh, the the common sense gun control that we need to implement as as a country or as a state or whatever it is. And you see people jump on that bandwagon, but it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily because that's the majority opinion. Right. That's people joining, you know, getting on board and, and doing, you know, the same thing that other people are doing elsewhere because they go, oh, okay, maybe there's something to this. Maybe some momentum is building, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that is the majority opinion of society. And that's something we have to be careful with because I think even as a gun owner, it's really easy to look at what's going on what everyone's talking about in the media and to start kind of feeling like, Oh, you know, like maybe, maybe the tide is changing, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I'm willing to bet Chris is in agreement with that. Yeah, we agree with that completely. You know, politics, politics or politicians, they all live in kind of an ego bubble. And for the majority, um, the majority of them live on Twitter, Facebook, they got Google alerts set up on themselves. And so, they see the media, which is in full-blown cahoots with uh, the, the, the gun, big gun control on this stuff. Um, they see them running these constant stories. They see them driving these uh, the turnout for these large rallies and stuff. Um, and they see this stuff start to hit on their own names, and, and, and it has an effect on them. And so um, the greatest force in politics is inertia. Uh, these people don't want to rock the boat. So when they see the boat being rocked against them, uh, in a big way or a great big uh, theoretical wave, even though we know it's mostly media driven, uh, they're going to try to get out from underneath that pressure. And that's exactly why, you know, we combat that. We fight back against that with our own grassroots uh, pressure because they can get a lot of media hits and they can get a lot of um, you know news stories and stuff about them yeah. or they're in action to, to, to assist common sense gun control. Um, and if that goes unanswered, um, they will follow the herd. And that's exactly why we focus so much on activating and mobilizing the grassroots and getting them involved in this fight. Because um, like I said, if it doesn't go answered, they will cave, they will turn. Um, and gun owners will be sitting there thinking, what happened? You know, yeah. what happened? Yeah. Where'd this come from? You know, Absolutely. So, so, so a question, Chris, you keep talking about you know, your organization's built around the idea of, you know, this grassroots effort. And, and I love that because I do think that that's one of the most effective ways we can, I mean, that we see that happen supposedly on the other side of the debate uh, where yeah. it's, you know, grassroots efforts, although sometimes those are very well veiled. But here's a grassroots question for you. Well-funded <laughs> right. grassroots. Well-funded. Well <laughs> very well-funded indeed. So, so a question. Running an effective grassroots organization is super challenging, is it not? Because it's grass, but by nature of it being grassroots, it's not yeah. terribly well organized. So how do you, 
how do you accomplish this? How do you get anything done in the state of Ohio? And and by the way, I'm asking this for, you know, so that maybe you can provide some input for other organizations in other states. You know, how how can they run an effective organization where they can get things accomplished when you're when it's a grassroots organization? Yeah, I mean, so so most the way gun politics has been done for a long time in a lot of states all across the country is you know, a couple of guys, they get super ticked off about the way things are going. Maybe they know a legislator or something and they decide to start a gun rights group. And this is what happened in spades back in the in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, and they set out with the best of intentions um, and perhaps their state laws were horrible or something. But over time, um, they thought they, that the best way of advocating for gun rights was to go to a state capitol or a state house and make friends with a lot of these people and get to know them on a personal basis so that they have your cell phone numbers or they're you're, you're, you each have each other's contact information. You stay in touch on the gun issues. But over time, um, those those relationships became entangling alliances. And so um, instead of representing the grassroots gun owners to the politicians, what happened over time is they started representing the politicians back to the grassroots, telling them what they need to settle for. Um, and, you know, when, when we're under pressure, like we are right now, those friendships are the first things that are on the political chopping block. Um, they're the first things that are thrown out the window because the most important thing to a politician is their political career, their reelection campaign. Every single elected person in America wants to grow up to become a congressman or a senator. That's just, that's the way it works. Um, so that's that's their primary concern, their reelection campaigns or their political futures. And and uh, if the pressure comes, those friendships are on the chopping block as a grassroots organization. Um, our focus, the board's focus uh, in sending me there to the state house, isn't that I can become a super effective lobbyist or that I can get to know absolutely all the players, although it's it's handy to know who all the players are. But. Uh, it's not the winsomeness of the words that come out of my mouth that this organization, that any grassroots organization should be really trying to focus on. Mm -hmm. The focus of a grassroots gun rights organization in any state, and you know, I can go down a list of states that ha already have these kinds of groups in them, um, but the, the focus has to be externalizing the conversation that normally is relegated to a very select few individuals at a state house or a state legislature. These politicians want the, the center of the political universe to be them. They want the entire discussion about gun rights to happen right around them and within that building. Um, and because they hate accountability. And when we are there enough to get uh, information about what's going on behind the scenes and effectively message that out to the grassroots and give them the tools they need to be effective at, in advocating for their own uh, best interests, that is a far more devastating uh, version of defending, maintaining, and advancing our gun rights than that old model. Um, and that's what we, fo we focus on list building around here. We focus on trying to get more people onto our Facebook page on trying to get more email addresses so that we can be in, in touch with more people since we're already going to the state house or a state capital. Anyway, uh, we may as well be externalizing that conversation to as many people as we possibly can and getting as many people involved in this discussion, because uh, I don't know if I said this earlier or not, but 
Um, just like you are your own best defense in a self-defense situation, we firmly believe that people empowered with the information and knowledge about what's going on at a state house, they are also their own best defenders of their gun rights because they can message precisely to their legislator or their state senator. Um, and that is the most effective way of, of, uh, of being heard or, or defending your, your gun rights mm -hmm. by making them afraid of your actions at election time. That's, um, that's, that's what we focus on. Yeah. I, I had a question, Chris, uh, sorry, Jake, go for it. Sorry, right. Um, I, I had a quick question since, you know, you have done this model in a, in a few different States, right. And, right. and, and, you know, each state might have its own, you know, challenges or difficulties, uh, depending on how it's set up. But um, if somebody wanted to start one of these grassroots organizations in their own state and there wasn't, a, you know, an Ohio gun owners, so let's say they're in, you know, Michigan, there's not a Michigan gun owners. Um, would they be able to reach you and, and you could kind of give them a blueprint or help them along the way? Or how, how would they go about even starting this? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, I, um, <laughs> I would love to help other people get gun rights or grassroots mobilization, gun rights organizations start in their states. Anybody can shoot me an email at director at ohiogunowners.org. Um, and, uh, I'd be happy to, to reach out and help them in any way I can. Um, like we've been talking about this entire time, what happens in one state affects what happens in another state. Absolutely. That is true. I believe it uh, wholeheartedly. So if somebody wanted to get going in their state, uh, reach out to me. Mm. Yeah. Cause I, I know um, I'm looking through the comments and Angela, uh, she mentioned that she's, I, I believe she's in Oregon and you know, Oregon. And she's saying uh, a fellow named Sean Poe, he might have like a grassroots organization that they're trying to start up or, or in the process of doing something. So um, for Angela, if you're still listening or still on the live, um, you know, reach out to Chris and, uh, and I'm sure that he'd be happy to happy to uh, help out whatever he can. Yeah, yeah you bet. Yeah, and Oregon, Oregon has been taking a beating for mm -hmm. the last several years out there. So I, I can understand there's some stress <laughs> and uh, um, anger um, on behalf of the gun owners in that state. So totally. Yeah. And once again, that was director at ohiogunowners.org.org, right? Yep, that's correct. Perfect. Cool, cool. So <clears throat> tell us, uh, Chris, I mean, yeah, we, we know Oregon's been taking a beating. Uh, many other states have been taking beatings. I mean, Washington State would be another example. Colorado, you know, it's things have been a little bit calmer for the last couple of years, but we've taken a beating in the past. California is always taking a beating. <laughs> Florida just took a massive, a massive uh, slide back, you know, in, in, in yeah. terms of gun rights, uh, just in knee-jerk response to Parkland. Uh, but let's... Switch it around a little bit, Chris. Tell us about some of the successful efforts that you have that you have had. For instance, I know you assisted the Missouri Firearms Coalition in getting constitutional carry and stand your ground passed in Missouri. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit as far as what went into that effort and how it was achieved? Yeah, um, you know uh, the chairman of the board out there. His name is Dr. Kurt Frazier. Um, he saw some of the stuff that we were doing in the state of Iowa with Iowa gun owners. My brother Aaron Dorr who runs that. And he thought, you know what, we have a Republican supermajority state here. Um, why are we not taking advantage of this current political climate and trying to pass this, uh, these major substantive overhauls uh, for our, for our gun legislation. And so, he, you know, he kind of liked the, the grassroots mobilization model. 
and so we thought, you know what, fine, let's give it a shot. And so we started working with him um, and working with uh, Representative Eric Burleson down there. He was the chief bill sponsor on the, the constitutional carry bill. We first started pushing constitutional carry um, as the as the bill. That's that's what the, the board wanted um, done. Um, but it very quickly became a, a gun, a pro gun omnibus bill. And so we thought, you know what, if we're going to do all the pushing on this thing, why don't we just wrap a few more of these issues into one big bill and push it through? And of course, uh, that that ended up with stand your ground being added into the bill. Stand your ground for for most gun owners in most states, um, if they don't have constitutional carry already, the biggest if they don't have stand your ground, I should say already, uh, the biggest issue that we have found for most gun owners is stand your ground more so than constitutional carry because people you know, for for most and for most people, it's pretty easy to get a permit. And what gun carriers are afraid of is that they'll win the, the, the gun battle, but that they'll have to, you know, uh, deplete their family wealth in the court battle that ensues. So stand your ground is a major, major uh, uh, overhaul for any state. Um, so the, the gun bill got going. Um, it faced obstacles in both chambers. And I'm not talking about Democrats. I'm talking about Republicans who uh, we're very squishy on the bill. We're trying to vote against it. Um, and uh, it just started uh, steamrolling. And the people of, of, of Missouri just just opened up like crazy. I mean, uh, the grassroots was the driving force behind everything that happened in Missouri. Uh, it was not the Missouri Firearms Coalition in and of itself. It is, it is always about the members and supporters of these groups. They're the people who deliver the day. And so Missourians just thought, you know what, this is it. This is the year we're going to do it. And this is back in 2016. And they ran it through the House, ran it through the Senate. Um, and there was obstacles along the way. And we could talk about this for hours um, and all the different characters and everything. But uh, Governor Jay Nixon vetoed the bill. Um, you know, he's a, he is an anti-gun uh, Democrat. Um, and he vetoed it. Uh, and the legislature, the demand from the grassroots was so thunderous in that state that the legislature came back in, I think it was September 15 of that year, and crammed that veto right down Governor Nixon's throat, and it became law. Um, yeah. So, But it's, again, in that situation, it was strictly uh, the members and supporters of uh, Missouri Firearms Coalition that delivered the day. And then I want to kind of take a different approach now. If, if you look around the country at some of these states that are passing gun control, um, that, are re, that are controlled by Republicans, Republicans. I'd like to point to Iowa as an example of a state where Republicans are in control and there is not a proposal for gun control right now. I mean, there's not a, an imminent threat uh, to gun rights. And the reason for that is specifically because, you know, the, 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 um, the tens of thousands of members of Iowa gun owners um, have over over the last seven years have replaced and booted out 38. Uh, and that's the, that's the most recent count I can think of 38 incumbent legislators that were either voting against gun rights or blocking gun rights bills or sponsoring gun control bills. And there are political corpses lying all over the state of Ohio. Most recently, the Senate majority leader, Mike Gronstall got axed out of office in a blue collar, uh, you know, formerly Democrat stronghold because all those Democrats went to the polls and they held Mike Gronstall accountable for his blocking of stand your ground. 
And so, you know, over the years, it just became very apparent in Iowa. If you want a political career in, in the state yeah. of Iowa, don't cross the gun rights crowd um, because they will ax you out. They are merciless. They will come after you like a dog and a bone. And that's the problem in these states where you have Republicans that are sponsoring gun control right now. The gun voting block as a political entity, they are not feared by the political class because for years, you know, through this buddy buddy system of endorsements and clapping each other in the back, um, none of these people were held accountable for their actions. And so, you know, uh, what do you, uh, over time, these politicians learn, um, they're just a bunch of yapping dogs who have no bite at election time. And, uh, and that's why they're sitting in the, in the positions they are. That's what we're trying to change here in Ohio. And that, we would like to see change in a lot of states all across the country. Mm, absolutely. You know, we saw something very similar right here in Colorado, just after the laws that were passed in 2013, you know, the mag capacity limit, the universal background checks, all that stuff. And we almost immediately recalled a couple of, uh, Hudak. Yeah, 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 that's right. Evie Hudak. Uh, so, you know, bam, you know, lay the smack down, you know, we, the people had their voices heard in those respective, uh, uh legislative, uh, districts. Um, which I thought was just phenomenal. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. look, you know, this is what, this is a consequence of, of, you know, thinking you're doing the right thing, but in reality you're, you're, you're trampling on people's rights and, and they just, they came out in droves to let you know that they were displeased with that. So here's a question. Um, I kind of have the, I mean, I'm, I'm very conservative politically speaking. Uh, and, but at the same time, you know, especially because of my work in the podcast, because of the many, dozens and dozens of emails that I've received from individuals that I know are, you know, we might be on opposite sides of the aisle, you know, or, or, or whatever it is, or even, you know, on certain issues, we might be completely opposite as far as how we think of certain political issues, except for where it comes to guns. Cause I get those that write into the podcast and say, Hey, appreciate what you guys do. Hey, you know, I'm actually a registered Democrat. I voted for Obama and all this stuff. And which, you know, in my brain, I'm like, I, can't compute that, but I'm glad they're pro-gun. So I'm curious, you know, I here, this is what I see. I see Second Amendment rights are, are on attack from a variety of different directions. But at the same time, I've also seen that gun ownership and the shooting sports and even permits and all this stuff that are being issued are that that is becoming a lot more diverse you know, that we're seeing, you know, a diversity in terms of race, that we're seeing more and more women that are coming, you know, into this, uh, you know, Second Amendment family, if I dare say that. But we yeah. might not necessarily be in alignment in terms of political party or groups. And so what do you say to that? How do we, you know, is, is there anything we can do to sort of align everyone, at least on these ish, particular issues of second of the Second Amendment? Uh, second Amendment? Yeah, I mean... A lot of times the, the media, the, the big gun control, they all try to portray, um, you know, gun rights advocates or gun owners as as one typical demographic, old, white, curmudgeon uh, you know, yeah, like you, right? Or, yeah, exactly. Or clinging to their guns and their religion. <laughs> um, but, you know, for, for an example of this, and, you know, I, I apologize if I always go back to state examples, but look at the state of Minnesota. Uh, for example, in 2013, 
you know, they had a huge push for Bloomberg's universal background checks legislation. And it was not Republicans that stopped that legislation from getting enacted. It was Democrats from up in the Iron Range who knew very well that their that their members, their Democrat um, voters back home would have no part of this and would destroy their political careers mm. if they crossed over that line. So, you know, no, normally people think of uh, it's, uh, the only people who like their gun rights are Republicans. That's absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. Um, uh, it is most certainly an issue that crosses right over racial and party lines and and uh, and and pays no attention to that stuff. It's not loyal to any of those. Um, and, and, and I'll throw a plug in there for us too. Neither are we, we are not, uh, we're not partisan in any way, shape or form, um, because we learn our lessons from States like Minnesota. Um, mm. uh, there's all kinds of women and people of other races that, that love their gun rights because they love common sense. They love the ability to defend themselves, their family, their loved ones, their neighbors. Um, and that's not those those ideals aren't relegated to a demographic. It just that just doesn't exist. I, I yeah, see it, it as being honestly a, a, a big tent because, you know, and Matthew, you would know Antonio Okafer is, uh, you know, she, I think she recently had some thing on her Facebook about oh, how, you know, gun rights are women's rights. And she's mm-hmm. caught some flack all, over that and stuff. And I'm thinking, of course they are. They're everybody's yeah. rights. Right. Yeah, it's it's always it's uh, and I always say this, you know, the right to self-protection or the desire to save your life or to to protect the life of your family holds no racial bounds, no it, it has no political bounds. I mean, if somebody's breaking into your home, it doesn't matter what who you voted for, you want to protect your family and it's at that point that people yeah. realize, hey, either I need to have the right to own a firearm and and, and properly defend myself, my family, or I don't. And more often than not, they're going to start siding and saying, you know what? I I can't give up my right to self-protection based on my uh, opinion on these other, you know, uh, these other political uh, stances, right? Like, whether it's, you know, big government versus less government, whether it's taxes and things and that that has i can i could align politically with something somebody like that but i can't align politically when it comes down to my right to protect myself and so yeah like you're saying um it, it's really important and and one thing that i i wanted to mention about uh what you said chris is that you guys do not endorse anybody so you're not taking a political no. stance um and i appreciate that because Unfortunately, even with there are other gun right groups locally and uh, nationally that end up taking a stance and in, in endorsing a political figure, right? And what they're doing is basically taking all their members and saying they all believe in this guy because I, at the head of the company or organization, accept this guy. And right. they're kind of speaking for them, but what you did was different and, and what you guys do is different. So if you can tell, you know, the listeners, because I thought it was, I thought it was great how you, how you guys do this. Yeah. As an organization, um, we really firmly believe in this grassroots model. Um, we don't believe, and like I said earlier, we don't, I don't believe that my words are so winsome 
uh, that people should invest so much trust in me or in this organization that they should make their decisions at election time or at primary season, like we're about to have here in a couple of weeks in Ohio. Um, what I say isn't so much of consequence. What should matter, what we try to get in front of people is where are these politicians going to be if they are honored with somebody's vote? So we ask them beforehand, uh, we send out a candidate survey uh, to, to everybody who's running for elected office in the in the legislature, I should say. We don't we don't survey all the way down ballot yet. We, we probably will get there. Um, but we ask them some substantive questions like, will they sponsor, co-sponsor or no on stand your ground law on constitutional carry? Uh, will they vote against um, uh, universal background checks? Will they will they sponsor legislation that would make federal gun control laws unenforceable in the state of Ohio? And and, and there's there's several more questions that go into our into our um, candidate survey. But um, with that, we don't with those answers, we don't sit there and play kingmaker with that information. We we distribute that information to our members and let them make their own decisions based on those questions that we've asked these candidates. And of course, we don't ask mamby-pamby questions like, do you support the Second Amendment? You know, <laughs> Barack Obama said that he supports the Second Amendment, but, you know, so we don't ask questions like that. We make it very difficult for a politician to answer our survey 100%. The only people who do answer our survey 100% are in fact, pro-gun. I mean, it, unless they're outright blatant liars lying, trying to, to uh, um, fool their district. But then that's the whole purpose behind this candidate survey is so that we have something tangible to hold them accountable by at election time in the next election so that um, if they don't honor those campaign pledges, if they don't honor what they said they would do in that candidate survey, we as a gun rights organization can go back to those same members that we told the previous election, say, look, this guy outright lied to you on this date, at this time, on this bill number, he voted this way. But he said back in election season last time that he was going to be this way. Hold him accountable in this next election season. And we have found that's a far better way of advocating for the Second Amendment and for our, our in our our right to self-defense because um, that we don't open ourselves up to the vulnerabilities of politicians going bad. And that happens all the time. Uh, when you endorse somebody, you're endorsing not only their previous history, but you carry on the baggage of what they do in the future. Um, and, and they can use that endorsement against you. So again, we don't, we don't focus so much on what we believe. I could go and have candidate meetings with people um, you know, seven days a week, and they could sit there and and present the best arguments ever uh, for the for self defense or for the Second Amendment. And at the end of the day, they could they could have been completely lying through their teeth. Um, and and so um, it's a far better way of advocating for the Second Amendment to just ask them the hard questions, see how they respond. Um, let our members know that, let them make their own decisions. And then if those politicians don't follow through with that, we come at them with a baseball bat, politically speaking for the human impaired <laughs> in the next election season. And we hold them accountable. And that's exactly what we've done in states like Iowa um, and in states like Missouri and in states uh, and that we're starting to do here in Ohio since we're a newer organization. 
Um, and uh, and most certainly in Minnesota, uh, there's some Iron Range Democrats up there that that found out extremely hard way that um, the 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 labor the labor union member um, you know the foresters the loggers the miners and all those guys that normally vote Team D they came in there with a vengeance to hold those people accountable that vote those those Democrats that voted against their gun rights and it's not because we sat there and said. We endorse so and so, or we unendorse so. No, we gave them the information. They made up their own minds. People can make up their own minds about this stuff. So that's kind of the difference. Mm, I like that. Uh, uh, that just aligns so well with kind of with where I'm at with things. Here's sometimes a tricky question, Chris, <clears throat> uh, because right behind you on your wall there says Ohio gun owners, Ohio's no compromise. You know. Uh, gun group or whatever, right? Um, <clears throat> compromise is a tricky question. So I'm not trying to imply anything here or place any values on anything, just simply curious. Let's suppose let, uh, politicians or some other group or whatever says, we are going to, uh, we would like gun laws, you know, this, 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 and this. But in exchange, we'll give you what is clearly a bigger win than a little bit of a loss. What does, when you say no compromise, what does no compromise mean in your world? Here's what we do in a situation like that. We pull out our gun, we, we rack it or however you rack it <laughs> and we shoot that bill right in the head uh -huh. and we kill it dead because we will never cross over that line and ask our members to, uh, to choke on it. More importantly, what yep. we will do is, we will aggressively pursue those politicians that present those alternatives at election time in their districts, going door to door with direct mail, with radio ads that are harder hitting than anything you've ever heard. Uh, um, uh, social media, all the different tools at our disposal that we work so hard to build here at Ohio Gun Owners or, or in, in, in states all across the country right now. And we make them compromise on their principles. We make them break down. We make them make those deals to appease the gun grabbers in their districts because uh, that's how we win long term. If we if we take two steps back and one step forward, we will never um, get out of it. So um, we've had that happen many times in the past where they say, we'll give you this if we if you guys just give us that. First of all, they're lying to you. They will never give you this in return for that. They are going to play a political trick on you in the amendments process or relying on a governor's line item veto on that on that piece of legislation. It is always a trick. Never fall for it um, and go after them aggressively at, 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 during the next elections. That um, that's the only way to handle that. Yeah. And we've been there and done that many, many, many times. Totally. Uh, thoughts on, uh, here's a popular one that's kind of, you know, people are talking about right now in light of Parkland in particular, uh, extreme risk protection orders. Yeah, we're, um, we're completely opposed to them in any way, shape and form. Um, even, uh, so in particular here in, in Ohio, we have this bill called House Bill 585. Uh, it's being introduced by a Republican. It's got Governor Kasich's support. Uh, it did have our Speaker of the House's support until he got, until he resigned in disgrace. Uh, in light of an FBI investigation into him for corruption. Um, they're all corrupt, by the way. <laughs> um, but uh, 
So we have this exact legislation that we're trying to kill right now in the Ohio State House. Um, we're opposed to most certainly the ex parte hearings, um, extreme violence protection orders, because they do not allow due process. They allow a one-sided story uh, to be entered into the courtroom. Um, and, you know, judges don't like to, to, to deny these things to bawling, crying um, complainants. It just doesn't happen, uh, first of all. So it completely erodes due process in that it doesn't allow the accused to be there or offer their own self-defense. They can't retain counsel. They don't even know that these hearings are happening until knock, knock, knock at the door. Uh, it's time to hand over your guns. Um, so, of course, we're opposed to that. That's the camel's nose under the wall of the tent. Um, but we are also opposed to the extreme risk protection orders that do allow uh, somebody to be brought into court because it is antithetical to the idea of American jurisprudence that you're innocent until proven guilty. Um, uh, we firmly believe that there should be a conviction before somebody is allowed to be denied their Second Amendment rights. Um, that's not what happens in these in these situations. More more commonly, though, we find in states that have this is that the extreme risk protection order system is used and abused like crazy um, uh, by people who are simply looking to gin up support for a child custody case or a divorce court battle where they can say, you know, your honor. Um, you know, so I had to file a, a, a protection order against so-and-so because I was just afraid. I was afraid he's going to use the guns on my kids and blah, 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 blah. Um, it, it, it just opens up um, Pandora's box for problems for gun owners uh, who have not been convicted of a crime. Um, so uh, you, people say, well, what about, what about you know, this uh, um, Nicholas Cruz kid down in Florida? What, what about him? Well, all we, all we do to, uh, to answer that question is look what happened in California just last week or the week before. Um, you know, this, this girl who walked into the YouTube headquarters, she had all kinds of flags. Her family knew she was a danger to herself uh, and to others. And they had called the sheriff. But, uh, you know, you can't stop a madman who is bent on, on committing crime. If somebody is willing to commit murder, they're most certainly willing to, to um to break the law and ignore one of these extreme risk violence protection orders. I've seen it happen in, in committee testimony one time up in Minnesota a couple of years ago. Um, one lady came in there and her testimony was, these protection orders are not worth the paper they are written on. A, 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 an abusive spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, um, if, if they're willing to beat the crap out of somebody, pardon my language, um, but if they're willing to do these things or commit these crimes against other people, they don't care about a piece of paper. And in most cases, in most of the, the pieces of legislation that we've seen introduced in these states now, um, these orders don't even take place for 24 hours. You know, so um, you know, there's all kinds of time windows that are built into them. If somebody wants to, you know, to commit a crime, they're going to do it. Um, and you know, that's why, that's why we're opposed to them. It is antithetical to American jurisprudence, equality before the law, innocent until proven guilty. And even if you pass this stuff, look at the states that already have these laws, they have not been successful in stopping these violent criminals. Hmm. Good thoughts. Here's another, uh, question for you. So I know kind of rapid fire here. Uh, Go for it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Ohio, state of Ohio is a unique state where it comes to the use of self-defense. 
right? Yeah. It's one of 50 states, because I believe virtually all other states, 49 of 50 states, uh, in a self-defense pre-trial hearing, or even in the trial itself, excuse me, that's what I meant, in the trial itself, a self-defense trial, in 49 of 50 states, it is... You must the, the the prosecution must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that it is a uh, that it was not self defense. But in Ohio, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, in Ohio, a lot of people say that we have the worst self defense law in the country because the burden of proof is on the accused. You know, if I'm accused, the burden of proof is beyond it's on me to prove beyond a preponderance of the evidence that I acted in self-defense rather than the burden of proof being on the prosecution to prove otherwise. And so um, it's just a, it's a terrible uh, self-defense situation. If you're ever forced to use a firearm for self-defense in the state of Ohio, you better be well loaded um, uh, in order to be able to afford the lawyers and stuff, uh, especially if you live in a, in an area like Cincy or Cleveland or something like that, where they have uh, prosecutors, uh, county attorneys that are just out of control on the war path against gun owners, um, you're going to get drugged through the court system and, and, and have to pay huge amounts of money in order to defend yourself or to prove your innocence. So mm. very bad situation. Can you tell me about any efforts that have been made to, to change that aspect of the law? Yeah, there's, uh, there's been, there's been ish, uh, bills that have passed in previous general assemblies that have, that have tried to address this law. I think they got met with governor Kasich's, uh, um, refusals. Um, there are currently several uh, efforts underway in the Ohio State House to address this problem. House Bill 228 is one of them. House Bill 590, which is the bill that we are pushing aggressively. Um, it's a stand your ground bill, but that also addresses this because normally stand your ground is kind of a tripod. It removes the duty to retreat. It provides civil and criminal immunities in case you're ever forced to use a firearm for self-defense. That's kind of the normal three. Ours is, is a four-legged stool because of this obvious uh, deficiency in our self-defense law where we have to prove that. But House Bill 590 is kind of a, a beefed up um, uh, bill that kind of that kind of um, preempts some some problems that have happened in other states. In Florida, for example, they didn't they didn't when they passed the stand your ground law, I think it's back in 2006, they didn't have an enactment clause built into it, whereby a gun owner who is in a self-defense situation had to use his firearm, he can't really invoke stand your ground law in his own self-defense um, uh, before it goes to, to trial. And so what happened there was the Supreme Court of the state of Florida came up with their own rules for invoking uh, stand your ground law that are very bad um, and that they wish, you know, organizations like Florida Carry they wish they had addressed that preemptively in their bill because now the Supreme Court has reserved to itself the right to make these rules. And it's a lot harder now uh, mm-hmm. to get that stuff passed. House Bill 590, it took us a while to write this legislation, but it took into account a lot of what had happened in states like Florida, some other issues that had happened in Indiana, if I recall the state correctly, um, and kind of deals with that stuff uh, in some of these states that have litigated on, on staying your ground. So. It's, it's probably the best stand your ground bill ever introduced into an American state. Um, and we're behind that one because if you look at, at this, this bill like House Bill 228, what it doesn't do, it doesn't provide immunity from criminal prosecution. It doesn't uh, provide immunity from, from civil prosecution. You know, some, 
scumbag thugs family. Uh, we saw that in the Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman trial. Um, Von Martin's family ended up suing the homeowners association because it was the only entity that they were allowed to sue under a Florida law. Um, yep. 28 doesn't go near far enough. And what's more important is if we pass that, it will suck all the juice, all the energy, all the demand out of, out of getting a real substantive um, stand your ground law passed in the state of Ohio. So we're behind how, uh, Senate bill 590. And quite frankly, that has been the only model that has been successful. It's been proven successful in the only three states that have passed stand your ground law since the Von Martin Zimmerman trial back in 2012, which are Missouri, Iowa, and just a couple of weeks ago, Wyoming with uh, state Senator, my good friend, Anthony Bouchard. Yeah. Which was a fantastic win. Yeah. Yeah. America America needed a win, by the way. Yeah. Uh, They they passed stand your ground law right in the absolute height of the aftermath of the Parkland, Florida shooting. And, you know, gun owners, I mean, I know I was sitting there cheering. Of course, I work with the Wyoming gun owners, you know, hand in hand in glove. But but uh, yeah, um, gun owners needed something like that. We certainly did. And it happened. Yeah, it's it's one of those things too, where you hear about something like that. And you're like, wait a minute, Wyoming wasn't stand your ground, <laughs> right? Right. Who would have thought? And, and you know what's you know what's interesting is uh you know listening to this and there we you know we obviously have listeners from uh, you know many states across the country, um, and I don't think that a lot of them understand the nuances of self defense law in their own states. And so, you know, this would be kind of my plug to to listeners to to make sure that you not only do you understand the self defense laws in your state because obviously that is huge. Um, you know, we focus on the, you know, the the technical portion of pulling the trigger and getting shots on target. I understand that. But we have to understand this this nuanced uh, area of self-defense in, in, in the state which, in which we live in. And I think if people start understanding that more or looking into that more, then little, you know, light bulbs will go off and say, well, I didn't even know that. I didn't realize that our law allowed for this. And it will get you more keyed in or tuned in on the legislation that's going on in your own state. And maybe it will involve you more and get you, um, get you to vote for people that are going to change these laws like the, like our antiquated law in Ohio is and, and things like that. So, you know, it could be kind of a, uh, kind of a precursor or, a, you know, um, something that drives you to get more politically engaged in your, uh, your gun rights of, in your own state. Absolutely. That's, I think I agree with that point completely. Um, if you're going to carry the firearm to defend yourself, uh, it's, it's advantageous for you to know the ramifications of what happens. And uh, we all, and, you know, a lot of people criticize us for pushing for constitutional carry legislation that's permitless uh, carry where you're not forced to take a, a, a you know, state sponsored state mandated training in order to carry a firearm for self-defense. Uh, we're, it's not that we're against training whatsoever. Uh, we're we're a hundred percent on board with training. In fact, if you look at Idaho, I think that's the only state that really has followed the statistics and and tracked this stuff since they implemented uh, constitutional carry a couple of years ago. I think it was back in two thousand fifteen. Um, demand for training has actually increased with fewer people being mandated to have training because more people are, 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 are carrying firearms for self-defense and 
law-abiding gun owners are all the same. We all want to uh, be better equipped. We want to know the laws. We want to be trained. We want, we're common sense people. Um, and so it's, it's not a shock to us to find, that, find out that uh, when you get rid of the state mandate for training, that even more people sign up for training because let's just face it, the gun owners as a statistic, as a body, they're the best citizens in any state, bar none, bar none. Um, uh, so it doesn't come as a shock to us. But when it comes to training, I mean, I, I've, I'm a firm advocate of it. I, I personally, myself, I get training from Masad Ayub. He's become a friend of mine over the years, but he's a trainer down in, in Live Oak, Florida. He used to be from, I think, New Hampshire. Um, but he, he, um, he, he's got excellent training. He, he went up against, I think it was Miami-Dade County Prosecutor Janet Reno back in the day. I went up against her five times and smoked her all five times. That's, that's pretty high praise. Better um, than the Branch Davidians did, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> they lost. Um, but, uh, you know, so, yeah, get good training uh, from people who know what they're talking about, know what your state laws are. It's always good advice. We're never against it. Uh, even in constitutional carry states, so totally. Uh, that that aligns so well with uh, what we believe in here as well. You know, people have probably been surprised to hear from us at concealedcarry.com because one of the the branches of our business is we're a training company, and we've got I don't know fifty some odd instructors and. A bunch of states and Ohio, and uh, Matthew is one of those in Ohio. And we've got someone viewing the podcast today. Another one of our instructors, Rob, Rob Beckman, also in Ohio there. And they're probably surprised to hear that. Yeah, we're on record as saying uh, we support constitutional carry because we think that's the way it ought to be. We think that's the way the Second Amendment reads. At the same time, we're big believers of training and getting trained, uh, and that's why we have a training division. Uh, but. You know, I, I think I've seen something similar in, in Idaho. Now, by, by the way, my home state is Idaho. Oh, and really? Interestingly enough, having conversations with fa- friends and family back in, in Idaho, uh, one of the things I hear is, oh, hey, I can carry my gun now concealed. Well, why weren't you doing that before? Well, now it's constitutional carry, so I don't have to do anything. I just carry my gun. It's like, awesome. Great. Guess what? Like, you can only carry that thing in your state. What do you do when you go to Utah or... Wyoming or some other place, yeah. you know, oh, wait a minute. What, what do you mean? What do, what do I do? Well, if you had a permit, particularly the Idaho enhanced permit, which would mean that you got some training, you could actually get, you know, more states you can carry in. Oh, really? You know, and it's like, I even though personally, I'd love to see some sort of national reciprocity bill where just because, I mean, like, I think national constitutional carry would be awesome. However, I don't think uh, that's that's probably a little bit far reaching however the, the current bill hr 38 as it has passed through the the house and so forth uh you know it, it says hey if you're in a state of idaho and you got constitutional carry well you could carry concealed in in any of the 50 states i love it cool that's great but once again i think it just i think having that opportunity where someone goes hey i'm I, before there was this threshold, I just wasn't quite willing to get over to go get my permit. Now I don't have to get a permit necessarily, but I can carry concealed. And then they actually start to look into it because like you said, law abiding gun owners are the same. They want to, they want to abide by the law. And by so doing, they start looking into the law and what it says. And they go, wait a minute, there's actually maybe some things I should do. And I can do more with this great responsibility that has now been handed to me. And hopefully, too, it inspires them to 
by their own choice decide to uh, take it upon themselves to get more training just because they want to, because they actually want to be more responsible and better trained. But I think that's kind of what I've seen among some of my friends and family that, you know, since that was passed. And I remember a, a friend actually writing a letter to uh, to their representative saying they weren't in favor of constitutional carry because they thought it was crazy to think that people, you know, could carry concealed without a permit. And I kind of got in a little bit of a debate with them. And I said, you know, look, every state where this has been tried, it's not, you know, because their big point was there's going to be accidents and Wild West shootings all over the place. But yeah, where do we see that happen, Chris? <laughs> uh, yeah, it certainly has not happened in any state. And what I would point to as well is I think in all 12 of the 12 constitutional carry states, some people say it's 13, but um, uh, I don't think in any one of those states that they have ever done away with the permit system. So I think it's a completely right. optional thing for people to go and get that permit for purposes of reciprocity. But I had a guy. Uh, I was talking to a guy who called in here to the office the other day, and he said he lives 30 miles from the Pennsylvania state line and that he has never in his life. And he was an older gentleman, I'd say at least 65, 70 years old, just by just, you know, just by judging from the sound of his voice on the phone. He has never in his life been into the state of Pennsylvania. Wow. Uh, that's that's impressive, first of all. But second of all. You know, for a guy like that, uh, if he doesn't have to go and go through the process anymore, he probably grew up in the 30s and 40s. The guy knows common sense, gun safety. He doesn't need to be told by the state what to do. Um, and, uh, you know, for him, constitutional carry fits. But for a person like me, uh, it just doesn't. Because I, when I go out of state, I want to be able to carry in other states as well. And so, you uh, And also what's, and also what's silly is, you know, at least in Ohio, and and I'm not sure the number of other states that allow for open carry, but in in Ohio, you can open carry without any permit, right? No training. You don't need any training. Right. A gun on your hip and you walk down the street. And so all of a sudden, you know, you put a shirt or a jacket over top of it and now you need training. And it's just like, you know, so that the idea that, oh, my God, if if people don't get training, it's going to be Armageddon out there. Yeah, it's really (laughs) it's it's a solution in search of a problem. I always ask people who who object to our House Bill 201 out here, constitutional carry. They're like, you mean you would let people carry a gun without training? I said, yeah, of course. Why not? It's like, well, we'd have mayhem and madness in the streets. We'd have okay, you know, sure. Corral shootouts and stuff like that. And I say, why do you have such a low opinion about Ohioans compared to the other states that have already passed this? I mean, it's clearly not a problem in Vermont, where up until last week, they never regulated the Second Amendment. Um, and But the other 11 states that are constitutional carry, what you're talking about is not even on the radar. It's not an issue whatsoever. Why do you have such a low opinion about Ohioans? I think we're great people. And their comeback is always silence. It's very deafening uh, because, you know, they, they know they've been uh, caught. But I always point back to, to the statistics, too. Um, you know, they've many uh, there's I've seen several reports now where as a demographic, when it comes to violent crime, gun owners, carry permit holders in particular, I should say, are the lowest statistic. Um, in in the country when it comes to violent crime, even lower than police officers. Um, so th- this idea that gun owners will somehow become madmen and crazy lunatics because the, the mandate of law to be lawful 
um, is removed from them. It's just ludicrous. I mean, yep. uh, we're the, I, I, we say it all the time. We're the best citizens. I mean, not, not to put down any other demographic, but statistically it's a fact. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, all my pro gun friends are, are upstanding model citizens and we've got nothing to apologize for. Absolutely. A couple of last, uh, kind of rapid fire questions here and then I'll hand it back to Matthew uh, after you give your responses in case he's got one last thing or two and then it's probably about time we'll wrap it up here but your thoughts on raising the purchase age for rifles ridiculous yeah. did you want more than that uh, I mean, uh, if you can go well, across so come, jump reason- across the pond and carry a gun for <laughs> Uncle Sam you shouldn't be you shouldn't uh, when you get home, be prohibited from uh, buy, buying a firearm to defend yourself and your kids or your family. I mean, if anything, it should be lowered for pistols down to 18 years uh, old. Thank you. Because wow. that was a dumb question of me to ask, but it was simply to set you up to ask, why not lower handgun purchase age down to all the other guns? In fact, in Iowa, um, Iowa was a May issue state, as I told you already, but uh, I got my first concealed carry permit when I was 18 years old from uh, from my local sheriff, Ed Harris camp. And it was written on a blue piece of paper about this big. There was no cards or anything fancy like that. But, um, you know, it. Yeah, it's if you're old enough to vote, why are you not old enough to carry a firearm to exercise all of your rights? I just don't understand yeah. it. So um, it's always the, the problem is. We've taken uh, right and wrong out of the schools, and we see these graduating classes getting dumber and dumber and dumber, or, or uh, less responsible. Um, and we sit there and think to ourselves, "Huh, you know, maybe we should start restricting other people's rights." No, that's a problem with the schools, then. it's not a problem with, uh, with eighteen-year-olds in particular. So yeah, we're we're all about lowering the age rather than increasing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's just been something that's bugged me for a long time because I think we see gun owners that have sort of just come to accept that that's the norm and that's the way it ought to be. And now right. then we hear, well, why are we allowing them to buy rifles and shotguns at 18 when they can't buy handguns till they're 21? And I'm thinking the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. once, once, once you become acclimated to something – you know, for years it's been that way. Nobody questions it. You know, you you talk to gun owners, and I mean, I can't think of a good reason why the the, the law prohibits uh, an eighteen year old from owning a fire a handgun. It's just that's how it is, and everybody's kind of accepted it. So, you know, it's that. It, and I hate to go back to the slippery slope method, but or mention, but it, it is some way it is that way. You you get used to it, you get acclimated to something, and then it's easier to justify taking something else away, just like. We're, we're, we're acclimated to 21, the age being 21 for handguns. Well, now it might be a little bit easier for a, a pill for people to swallow when they say eh, rifles. Yeah, yeah. Why not? You know, you're yep. dead on there. Well, and then what happens the next time some 21 year old or 22 year old uh, uses an AR 15 to go on a school shooting? I mean, are we going to start banning them up to 25 years old a- after that? Um, yeah, like you said, the slippery slope is real. And you know, Nancy Pelosi said it herself. Most certainly this is a slippery slope. And I hope we we uh, use this as a starting point to go on from there. So, yeah, uh, yeah totally agreed. Good thoughts, gentlemen. Uh, Matthew, any last uh, questions or anything you want to throw out there? 
Yeah, just want to ask you since it affects me and a lot of the the, the people I know. Um, what what do we have to look forward to? Um, you know, coming up with this legislation and everything. At least, um, what you guys are going to do to fight this stuff? Well, we're going full court press now into the primaries, uh, which are happening on May eighth. I think they're not coming back into. I don't think that in Ohio they don't have floor session until. May 15th, I think. Um, and of course, there's a leadership battle raging right now who is going to going to become the next Ohio speaker. Um, but we're rolling out everything we possibly can to make sure that we uh, beat these gun control bills back. Um, on the positive side, we finally introduced House Bill 590, which is the Vitaly Keller Stand Your Ground Bill. Um, and it's, it's fantastic. We have the rest of the year to push for that. We want to get it out of committee, hopefully get it uh, to a floor for to the floor for a vote. Um, so that we can hold these politicians who are trying to blockade it accountable. That's what we're ultimately after is holding these people accountable at election time. We focus, 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 focus on the election season because that is where gun owners get to do to them what they did to us during the legislative season. Beautiful. Sounds awesome. Good (laughs) stuff, man. We love it. Awesome. Well, folks, we appreciate uh, Mr. Chris Dorr for his time spent with us on the podcast today and hope that uh, you found something of worth and value in the uh, discussion here today. And hopefully, you know, this is a, a catalyst for some of you listening to get more involved in your local and state politics uh, as it relates to, you know, pushing for, you know, ex- an expansion on Second Amendment rights. Uh, we know as a, as we kind of started, you know, that right now things seem to be a little bit under attack, and uh, you know this can be dangerous ground. We saw some new legislation signed into law, like you just mentioned, Chris, uh, last week uh, in the state of Vermont that, as you said previously, didn't really legislate a whole lot, you know, as it came to guns, and now suddenly, uh, you know, they passed some additional things, uh, changing the purchase age and having extreme risk protection orders and all that put into place. So we see things happening in states that previously didn't think of as being an issue, and that's how quickly the tide can turn. And so we appreciate the work that you're doing out there in Ohio, or I say out there, well, at least in Matthew's case, out here. Uh, we appreciate everything you're doing for Ohio gun owners and elsewhere as, as you continue working with others and other organizations in other states. And so I just appreciate what you do. hope people listening can you know, get fired up uh, from the grassroots level on up. And, you know, find some way to get involved, uh, talk to your legislators, let them know that your voices will be heard one way or another, and let's uh, organize the people to to align with that as well. You bet. It's our pleasure to do it. Um, it's our pleasure to advocate on behalf of our membership and for grassroots gun owners all across the state. It's, uh, it's a phenomenal way to defend and protect our gun rights. Uh, we've, we found it to be very effective. Um, and it's important that we be doing it too, because the, the radical left, they're doing this as well. And if we don't answer back in kind, we're going to get steamrolled. And I, and like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, I've got six kids. I can't afford to let, to sit on the sidelines and let all of our gun rights get flushed down the drain, um, because I want them to enjoy the same freedoms that I've got right now. And uh, I'm going to do everything I possibly can. This organization and organizations all across the country, I think of like Iowa gun owners, Wyoming gun owners, Minnesota gun rights, uh, Missouri Firearms Coalition, Idaho Second Amendment Alliance, all these groups 
Um, they're doing this exact same model of gun politics, and it's necessary and required if we're going to maintain what we've got. Well, amen, brother. Appreciate you, Matthew. Thank you for all you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And uh, as we wrap it up here, just a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation, guardiannation.com. Go check it out. And also we have available a special deal for the Howard Late uh, Impact Sport OD Green Electronic uh, Hearing Protectors. Uh, go check it out, concealedcarry.com forward slash impact sport ODG. And folks, we just really, truly enjoy doing the podcast and it wouldn't be possible, nor would we care to do it anymore probably if we didn't have at least somebody out there listening and we actually know that there's many thousands of you to do so. So thank you to all of you for your support and making it all possible. And so with that, uh, we're going to sign off. Appreciate everyone again. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.